0: You are listening to the Bellator Christi podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas.
1: The sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. This is the Bellator Christi podcast, and we welcome you today. This is your host, yours truly, Brian Shilton. It's uh, good to be back with you on the podcast. Hope you're doing well wherever you may be. Uh, this will be the uh, last podcast of October of 2017. Hard to believe that it's uh, already the end of October. Uh, Getting ready to uh, end what has been uh, both a good and bad year, uh, 2017. I'm hoping to, uh, towards the end of the year, have some reflections on this year and uh, some things uh, both good and bad that have happened this year. And so uh, we'll do that coming up In um, in December uh, Just want to let you know again this is the Bellator Christi podcast uh, We do invite you to uh, Join us at the website at BellatorChristi.com Bellator Christi is of course Latin for Warrior of Christ and so We invite you to go to the website, subscribe uh, And by doing so You'll receive all of the articles and links To the podcasts as they become available uh, To you. As soon as they're posted They'll be available to you in your inbox box uh, absolutely free we also ask that you check out the uh, podcast we're on several uh, apps we're on uh, uh, the TuneIn radio app but we're also on uh, uh, google play uh, we're on Stitcher as well as iTunes. So uh, <clears throat> you have there's a little a real cool little device. If you have an Android uh, phone or tablet, uh, you can uh, it's Podcast Addict. If you do that, you can catch the podcast. This podcast, several other great podcasts out there as well, and you can take uh, the podcast, a Bellator Christie podcast, with you on the go wherever you may be. we to let you know uh, just a couple of things before we get into the show The main show today we're going to look at a little later in the podcast We're going to look at uh, an objection posed by uh, Matt Slick of CARM Christian Apologetics Research Ministry uh, that's been making waves Uh, He he has uh, basically said that Molinism is unbiblical, and, and Molinism, Congruism, is a subset of Molinism. Uh, Molinism holds to the concept of uh, middle knowledge. And so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, middle knowledge, and we're going to go to the source. I always encourage people don't get secondhand information. Okay? Um, As Aristotle said, people don't debate over data, they debate over interpretations of the data. And so often it's the case we don't access, we don't engage the primary sources. We don't go to the source uh, because it takes a little work (laughs) to do that. But we we base our opinions on secondhand information, third-hand information. So what we're going to do today is we're going to look at uh, Louis de Molina and a book that uh, uh he wrote Concordia, we're going to look at only the fourth portion of the Concordia uh, and, and we're only going to look at a portion of the fourth portion of the Concordia, uh, actually just a little segment where he's going to defend the uh, the whole idea of middle knowledge. So we're going to explain what is mental knowledge, uh, what is uh, how does it relate to uh, natural knowledge and free knowledge? Uh, ...that God possesses. So we'll take a look at that later in the podcast. Before we get into that, I want to just say a few words. We'll take a quick commercial break and then jump into the the major discussion of the podcast today. I want to say that uh, the podcast hasn't been on a couple of weeks. We warned you earlier in the month that this was probably going to be the case. Uh, I am uh, in the process of uh, uh, working on my Ph.D. at uh, Liberty University. And I took my first course in the process of taking my first course in the program... And I'm hoping to amp up the number of courses I take uh, later on. Got to you know make sure some legit all the logistics are in place. Everything is in place the way it needs to be before I take on any more. But um, uh, I just want to say this was a fascinating class. I had an opportunity to meet individuals from all over the world. This class of 15 people uh, had people from Haiti. Uh, There was a lady originally from Syria. Who was there? There was a uh, uh, a woman from Romania now living in California who who's part of the program. Uh, there is um, uh, there the, I think I mentioned a lawyer from Haiti who lives in South Florida now. A Jewish man who came to faith. He's originally from New York, living now in South Florida. A wonderful man. And, uh, and and many other people from Massachusetts uh, to Minnesota to Alabama. I mean, you name it. It was it was a global class. And you know, as we talk about, as I mentioned, going to firsthand primary information, I, I really think it's it, it was very very healthy. For me to be able to sit down and talk with individuals, especially the lady, I won't give her name because I don't, you know, I don't know all the, you know, uh, ins and outs of her situation and the situation with her family and everything like that. So I don't want to uh, go into any detail with that. But, but just being able to sit down and talk with someone who who has been in um, the line of fire. And, and just a wonderful wonderful woman of god i'm just going to tell you my my heart i mean my heart was transformed not only by the class dr Lowe did a great job but also by the uh the individuals in the class uh man i tell you it was just a fantastic class uh met a great guy from louisiana cajun man uh, and uh, just a great guy and um but but just talking with individuals who have been in the who are in the know who have uh, faced some of the things we hear about on the news it gives it gives us a new perspective on the issues um, and I would just warn people not to always take what you hear on the news at face value um, you know I, <laughs> I, I won't go into any more uh, with that but uh, I, I would just. I really think it's important for us to talk with people who, who have actually been in the situation before we make blind assumptions as to what takes place. And she gave me some great advice. We were talking about reaching people uh, for Christ, uh, to people of different faiths. And uh, she mentioned something that just really resonated with me ever since she said it, ever since she said it. She said, "Don't talk politics. Don't start your conversation with politics. She says, in fact, she, she avoids politics. Because she said something that really resonated with me. You have to ask yourself, what is your prime focus? What's your prime focus? Is it a political innuendo? Or is it the kingdom of God? Now, I'm not saying politics is unimportant because I realize that it, it does have a place and we as Christians do need to have a voice in the marketplace of ideas. But at the same time, we have to ask ourselves, what is our primary motive as believers? Is it to uh, justify a political candidate? Is it to, um, is it to um, propagate a political party? Or is it about proclaiming the gospel of Christ? And it, had, it made me reevaluate my focus on this podcast, my focus on the website as well, this online ministry. And you know what, folks, I, I, I've, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, I'm not going to worry so much. You know, obviously, I want to get as many readers as I can. I want to I get as many listeners as I can so that we can make a difference through this podcast and through this ministry, through this online ministry, to reach the world for Christ. But this ministry is not so much about getting views as much as it is about having integrity. Because if we lose our integrity as Christians, we've lost everything. If people can't trust what we say on small issues, they're not going to trust what we have to say on big issues. So that's why on the Bellator Christie podcast and on the Bellator Christie uh, website, you know, I'm devoted. We are devoted to proclaiming truth. We're we're devoted into to, uh, to being as uh, as 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 great integrity as we can. We're 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 dedicated to uh, promoting the truth of God's word. Now, obviously, I'm going to fail at times doing this. I'm going to have bad interpretations. I'm going to have uh, erroneous, uh, in you know, uh, erroneous perhaps uh, views of Scripture and things of this nature. It's going to happen because I'm human, and I realize that we're all human. Okay, but but the gold standard for this website, for this online ministry, is to is to speak the truth, and to reach people for Christ. That's what it's about, and that's why this website is devoted to theology and apologetics, and that's why. I try to eschew away from political um, issues and concentrate more on uh, the, the truth of God's Word and about the things that really matter. Now again, it's like William Lane Craig said, sometimes, sometimes when we talk about ethical issues and things of that nature, the political world merges into the theological world, and we have to handle issues like, for instance, marriage, uh, healthy relationships. We have to handle certain things in, in of that nature, and especially as religious freedoms are being attacked, that is, that is obviously uh, a situation where there is a dis- distinct difference, uh, where we have to, uh, at that point in time, uh, step into that arena But by and large th- This website This ministry Is not is not dedicated to politics This website ministry Is de- de- dedicated and devoted To the word of God Well that's just a little That's just a little perspective I picked up this past week I hope it helps uh, Helps you In your walk with Christ um, so at this time we're going to take a quick commercial break And when we come back we're going to talk discuss the issue of middle knowledge Is it biblical? Is Molinism biblical? But looking particularly at middle knowledge itself What did Louis Dame Molina have to say about the issue? What does it mean for God to have middle knowledge? You're listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast We'll be back in just a few moments
0: My first row evidence that demands a verdict. Truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth, can you know
1: truth, but now it is. Some of the issues are different because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do.
0: We had to rewrite Evidence of Man's Verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting, and we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor, to be aware of the new evidence out there, to understand not just what they believe, but why
1: they believe in it. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag True Evidence.
0: you dare tell me about the
2: love and the compassion of your so-called God.
0: What do you think it does to the boys to take the death of their brother and use it as part of your carnival act?
2: Pays the bills. Daddy! <laughs> clinically dead in the ambulance. Four minutes. It's a miracle. I saw David. All, all I wanted to do was just wanted to put my arms around him.
0: A scientific explanation. It hasn't brought you any comfort. Would you consider consulting a different source? Doc, he is your God and he's holding out his hand to you. All you gotta do now is take it. Jesus gets whacked, right? I've never exactly heard it put that way, but yeah. Follow me here. This ain't brain surgery.
2: Do you believe that God hears?
0: God always answers prayers. Sometimes we just don't understand better. Be good. That's what I said.
1: The Big Light, uh, directed by Kevin Sorbo, coming to theaters everywhere October 27th. All right, we're back here on the Bellator Christie podcast. Little Ghost Riders in the Sky there for you by the uh, great country-western singer and performer Roy Clark. And so uh, doing a great job there as always. So we uh, thank you again for joining us on the podcast today. Hope you're doing well. As we mentioned before, uh, do do be much in... uh, consideration to go see that movie, Let There Be Light, from everything I've heard about it, it seems to be a great movie uh, coming out later this month. In fact, I think it's coming out, uh, it's probably already out by the time we have, uh, we'll broadcast this podcast, so, uh, or publish this podcast, so, so go check it out. Alright, so today, uh, there's a lot of discussion going on in the apologetic world uh, pertaining to an article that... Um, uh, Matt Slick uh, wrote for Carm uh, Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry, and um, he is asking the question: What is Molinism, and is it diff? Is it uh, biblical? And so um, he, let me just you have to first understand that Matt Slick is a Calvinist, and he he is a hardcore Calvinist. So anything that has to do with someone having a free response to God's sovereign grace uh, or to uh, God's um, moving upon an individual, he would not accept. And so he uh, he talks about uh, the problems he sees with middle knowledge. Okay, let me first of all just describe and define what we're talking about by middle knowledge. That that would be the best thing to do as we begin. Uh, Thomas Aquinas uh, wrote that uh, there are two different types. Of knowledge that God has pertaining to uh, humanity, that there's what's called natural knowledge, that God, that's God knows all things that are possible and logically necessary. Uh, He knows the possible combination of all events. Now, now uh, Slick says he knows up all the possible combinations of all events and human choices. He says it's natural for God to know such things as logical truths and uh, how many stars there are. Now, here again, I think it's important for us. To, I'm going to read this and I'm going to go to uh, um, Thomas Aquinas himself and read what he has to say about this. Uh, if I can find this here. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, okay, bear with me. Uh, maybe in 113 here, look and see. But anyhow. Um, I may have to come back to that, because I'm not finding it right offhand. I should have had that ready beforehand. But anyhow, uh, natural knowledge God knows all things that are possible, logically necessary. Uh, fr- uh, free knowledge is that God necessarily knows in totality all that actually exists, and He has freely chosen to create. Now, um, free knowledge is also... Well, to me, I've always understood free knowledge to be the knowledge that god has of future things of, of the things that will take place now lewis de melena comes in and he and he talks about um and again I'm, I'm trying to find this information here in the summa theologica and i am not finding it for some reason uh well like i said i'll come back to that here in a few moments but anyhow um Okay, yeah, I did a little digging here, and I think I found what I was looking for. Anyhow, um, okay. So let, let me let me go back and start over. Okay, uh, Matt Sleek says God has God knows all things that are possible, logically necessary. That's natural knowledge, free knowledge. God necessarily knows in totality the things that actually exist that He has freely chosen to create. Well, and then mental knowledge is the knowledge that Louis de Molina proposes that God knows what any free creature will choose. Uh, would not be any person at any time, in any circumstance. Uh, see, I don't think he understands middle knowledge. I don't that. Uh, he God knows what any free will choice would be made of any person at any time in any circumstance. Well, that that's kind of middle knowledge. Uh, but but it also states that God knows the things that that will be, and the things that well won't be, and the things that could be. Okay. And you know, and I honestly believe that Louis de Molina is not too far off from what Thomas Aquinas himself said. Now, that's going to startle a lot of people. But let me just go back to what Thomas Aquinas says on these things in the Summa Theologica. Uh, this is one fourteen nine, the eighth article and ninth article. Uh, he says uh, whether God, whether the knowledge of God is the cause of all things. He says that the knowledge of God is the cause of all things, for the knowledge of God is to all creatures what the knowledge of the artificer, I probably mispronounce that, is to all things made by his art. Now, the knowledge of the artificer is the cause of many things made by his art. But intelligible form does not denote a principle of action insofar as it resides in the one who understands, unless there is added to it the inclination to an effect, which inclination is through the will. Uh, Does God have knowledge of things that are not? He says that whatever, therefore, can be made or thought or said by the creature, as also whatever he himself can do, are known to God, though they are not actual. So so Aquinas here seems to be arguing for counterfactuals. And insofar as it can be said that he has knowledge even of things that are not. Okay, that's in the ninth article. Um, in the thirteenth article, he says... Um, Uh, Since, as was shown above, God knows all things, not only things actual, but also possible to him and the creature. And and since some of these are future contingent to us, it follows that God knows future contingent things. Okay? So, in other words, Aquinas is promoting, and I think he would be open. And and let me just say, I I have too many thoughts going through my mind at one time, and I want to try to keep this as brief as I can. Um... Uh, Melina's argument is not with Aquinas. Uh, Melina's argument is is ma- mainly more towards those individuals uh, who were followers of of Aquinas. So so Aquinas does though he shows this this uh, natural knowledge and this free knowledge. And I think Ken Keithley does a great job in espousing uh, the differences to, between natural knowledge and free knowledge. Um, he says in his book, Salvation and Sovereignty, uh, a, a, a Molinist approach. Okay, he says on page... Uh, so this is on a Kindle, so I'm just not showing the page number offhand. But anyhow, he says in his book, talking about the three moments, he calls them moments. He says, the first moment of God's omniscience is his natural knowledge. God knows all possibilities, everything that could happen. Okay, so again, slick is kind of misunderstanding the whole concept here i don't think he gets the natural part not right in his in his uh, in his uh, article but he says he knows all possibilities everything that could happen he knows what reality would be like if he had created a world without you or me in it or never created anything or any one at all these fully formed possible scenarios are generally called possible worlds There's an infinite upon infinite number of possible permutations of how things could have been. Just contemplating such a notion is overwhelming for us but poses no problem for God. Okay, Uh, now jumping to the third moment, God's free knowledge. This is his perfect knowledge of the world. This world that he chose to actualize or create, Molina refers to the third moment as free because it is the result of God's free, sovereign decision to bring this particular world into existence. Of the infinite possibilities available to God, he was under no compulsion to choose this one, yet he chose a world that contains free moral agents, angels and humans, who make genuinely free decisions. How is he able to infallibly accomplish his will in a world in which other moral agents beside himself exist. Uh, This brings up a crucial notion of God's middle knowledge. Within his natural knowledge of all possibilities, everything that could happen, God possesses a perfect knowledge of all feasible worlds, all possibilities which would accomplish what he wanted to have happened. This knowledge of all viable possibilities is located, so to speak, between God's natural and free knowledge, and hence the term middle knowledge. God's middle knowledge contains all the choices and decisions that free creatures would do if they were created in a particular world. When God chooses to actualize one of these feasible worlds, He knows certainly what will happen. Notice the words could being natural knowledge, would being middle knowledge, and will being free knowledge. Now again, as I read it in Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologica, I don't think Aquinas is opposed to to the idea of, of uh, God's knowing future contingencies, the things that are and the things that are not, the things that could be and the things that won't be. Okay, So let's take a look at what Molina has to say about this. Uh, as he has given a uh, case for mental knowledge, he says this conclusion as in regards, this is page 116 in the book On Divine Foreknowledge, part 4 of the Concordia by Louis de Molina, Melina. This conclusion, as regards to its first part, and indeed as regards to other parts as well, is so certain that I would not hesitate to say that its negation is dangerous from the point of view of the faith. So is saying to, to claim otherwise is, in his, is in his, is in his opinion, dangerous. And so he offers four proofs. I'm not going to read uh, every bit of what he says here. I'll let you uh, take a look at that at yourself for yourself, but. Um, he gives four proofs for this, this middle knowledge. The first proof is, he says, "...it is clear from sacred scripture that the supreme God has certain cognition of, of some future contingents that will depend on human free choice, but that neither have existed or w- ever will exist in reality, and that hence do not exist in eternity either." Therefore, it is not simply because future contingents exist outside their causes in eternity that God knows them with certainty. And so the consequence is obvious. When the antecedent is proven, he says, as follows, God knows that there would have been repentance and sackcloth and ashes among the Tyronians and Sidonians on the hypothesis that the wonders that were worked in Chorazin and Bethsaida should have been worked in Tyre and Sidon. This is clear in Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. Now, let's take a look at Matthew eleven twenty one. 21. Uh, give me a moment to, to flip over there. Matthew eleven 21. I'm reading from the New King James Version today, Eleven twenty one, which says... Um, Jesus says, Woe to you, and woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you that it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Okay, so we, he exemplifies a form of middle knowledge there in that particular passage of Scripture. Uh, Melina gives another example in 1 Kings 23, First Kings chapter twenty-three. Let me flip over there. First Kings chapter twenty-three, verse ten and through twelve. First Kings twenty-three. I see, and there's no First Kings (laughs) twenty-three. I wonder if he means Second Kings twenty three here. Um, well, anyhow, it's, it, let me just read this in the passage of scripture. I think they, that he that there's a misprint in the book. Uh, David consulted the Lord about whether Saul uh, was to. Um, okay, I see what happened here. In the footnote, he's using the Vulgate, which uh, which is different. This is First Samuel twenty three. Okay, uh, I see what happens because in in the Vulgate, first and second kings is is first and second Samuel, third and fourth kings, is um, is um, what we know as first and second uh, kings. Okay, so let's 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 go on here. First first uh, Samuel twenty three, verses ten through twelve. Okay, uh, when then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to uh, Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me uh, into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me, or Kilah deliver me from my, and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord says they will deliver you. Okay, so God is, is showing forth an understanding about what individuals would do. I, I would even propose, I would even argue that the same thing happens in the book of Exodus with Moses. When Moses talks to the Lord and, and God says, you know, Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Well, how does that happen? God actually extends grace to Pharaoh, and then Pharaoh, in in response to the grace of God freely given to Pharaoh, hardens his heart. So this is middle knowledge, clearly middle knowledge in Scripture. The second proof, he says on page 119, chapter 11 of this uh, disputation, 49, uh, the second proof, through his natural knowledge, God comprehends himself, and in himself he comprehends all the things that exist eminently in him, and thus the free choice of any creature whom he is able to make through his own omnipotence. Okay. Um, uh, Molina does not use the term middle knowledge in Disputation 49. Instead, he employs the term natural knowledge for any divine knowledge that precedes. God's free decision or free volition with respect to which, if any, order of created things to establish. Okay, so here again, he uses this knowledge comprehensively uh, of, of, um, of all things that exist in him and the free choices of creatures made uh, through his omnipotence, but I would say that would even be more through his omniscience. In that regard, chapter 12 of the 49th Disputation, uh, the third proof is that God does not get His knowledge from things, but knows all things in Himself and from Himself. Therefore, the existence of things, whether in time or eternity, contributes nothing to God's knowledge... Uh, or knowing with certainty what is going to be or what is what is not going to be now? This is genius. I think for Melina because Melina uh, there's all there's this idea that just because God knows something's going to happen that that removes The free creatures ability to choose x versus y, but just because you may know maybe you have an intuition Who's going to win this year's Super Bowl and maybe you're absolutely right You know, or or, you know, maybe you're able to to look ahead somehow or another, and you're able to see all the things that's taking place, and you just have a a moment of genius, and you're able to see who's going to win this year's Super Bowl. The fact that you know what's going to happen does not, in any regard, change the free decisions of the players who who make the plays to get to that point. It doesn't change, in any regard, any of the things that took place freely to get to that certain point. Now, if God knows this information and He knows how a person's going to respond, obviously, and He knows individuals who are going to be saved, obviously, He's going to put those individuals in circumstances where they will respond to His grace. He's going to speak to them, and in fact, I think He speaks to all people in reality, but He speaks to the individuals and, and He puts them in circumstances which will give them the best opportunity to receive Salvation. Now, God knows with certainty what's going to happen, but that does not impede the free decisions of individuals to choose X versus Y. Uh, for um, uh, he goes on to say, for prior to any for, to, for prior to any existence on the part of the objects, God has within Himself the means whereby He knows all things fully and perfectly, and this is why the existence of created things combines no perfection to the cognition he has of them, and does not cause any change in that cognition. In God, then, intuitive uh, cognition and abstractive cognition, or better, cognition of simple intelligence, do not differ in any way. Rather, depending only on whether or not its object exists, one and the same cognition, equally evident and equally perfect in its own right, is called either an intuitive cognition or else a cognition of simple intelligence, as was shown in uh, the Article 9. Now, the last one. So, in other words, again, he's just simply saying that God's knowledge of these things does not impede upon uh, the free creature's response. The fourth proof, and this is the final proof that he offers uh, in this regard. He gives some conclusions, but we won't go into that. The fourth proof is, he says, and this is by Louis de Molina, the source himself, In God there is providence and predestination with regard to future contingents. Therefore, there is a precognition by which he foreknows with certainty before anything exists what is or is not going to be on the hypothesis and condition that he should grant this or that assistance or means or arrange things in this way or some other way. He goes on to say, if this is not so, then how did he preordain and arrange things by his providence, intending good contingent effects via both natural and free causes, while permitting evil contingent effects in order that he might draw forth them for greater goods? Very good point. Likewise, in what sense was there a predestining of various uh, freely acting causes in order that they might achieve uh, contingent effects and goals by these or those means. If the craftsman did not know beforehand what shape the artifact would later have to have, given that his hands and artistic tools were to be applied in one or another way during its construction, then he would not know how to use those means so that the artifact might turn out the way he wanted it to so too if before god decided by the free decree of his will to furnish the means and to arrange the things in the way in which they have been in fact been ordered he did not foresee that would happen given such an arrangement and order then he would most assuredly not know how to order things by that decree in the way uh, required for the ends instead Things would, uh, in their actual existence, be just as prone to turn out in one way or the other. So, in other words, what he's saying here is is for Romans 8:28 to be true. Now, he doesn't say, he doesn't mention Romans 8:28, but I think that if if God is able, and and I think that Molina is far more advanced. Reading through his material, I think he is far more advanced than we give him credit for in his uh, philosophical understanding. And his biblical understanding, I think, as well. But what he goes on to say is that um, if God can work out good, even through the midst of bad, then God has to have this type of middle knowledge. He has to have this type of knowledge to know what is going to happen, what's not going to happen, what a person will choose, and what a person won't choose, so that he can construct this. God is actively working in and through all of this to bring out a great good despite all the evil that's taking place. And folks, I, think, I take comfort in that, knowing, one, that God doesn't force us into a relationship with Him. Now, He may woo us. He may try to persuade us. He may persuade us. He will apply grace and even efficient grace or effectual grace, to us providing us to have the opportunity to come to him because, quite honestly, I would agree with the Calvinist that if God had not opened our eyes, we would not be able to have salvation. So I think any Orthodox Christian, not just the Calvinist, would agree with that, that God moves on us, God moves by his grace. But I would say that there is a type of grace that God bestows to each person, that he bestows to each person, but he knows What an individual will choose. There is a response to God's grace, either good or bad. After God has demonstrated that grace and provided that grace, some people would choose to receive the compelling Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit moves in that person's life. And some people are going to reject that uh, free response by God. They're going to reject that. And And I think a great illustration in all this goes back to the issue of um, of the lover. Uh, for those of you who are married, you know what I'm talking about here. It takes great courage to ask uh, your bride to be or your hopeful bride to be to marry you. even if you think that she'll say yes, you still have to go forth and you have to you have to ask. you ask and she's responding. Uh, you know you know that hopefully she's going to say yes. Maybe you have a good, strong relationship, and you have the hope. You think, you really think she's going to say yes. But there's still that possibility that she'll say no. Now, if you force someone into a relationship with you, it's not really a relationship at all. But God, by His grace and by His mercy, He has freely given His grace so that we can freely receive His grace. And folks, I'm going to tell you, that's a great one. Well, you've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast. This is Brian Chilton. We'll see you back next time. God bless.
0: The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of bellatorchristi.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christi Podcast is a production of bellatorchristi.com and is protected under Creative Commons Copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit bellatorchristi.com and subscribe so that you can receive all the articles and podcasts in your inbox for free. Catch us on iTunes, TuneIn, and Stitcher. For Brian Chilton, this is Burl Childer saying God bless, and we'll see you the next time as we enter into the arena of ideas. We're standing on the ground that for three years we have prayed that will one day be the site of the greatest Christian school in the world we prayed that way. We believe God gave us this mountain for that purpose. I've said to these young people repeatedly and I say it again to you today, you are the hope of America. When you leave the graduation platform of liberty, I want you to leave it running. Leave it running with the vision burning in your soul. You're gonna change this world for Christ. Don't look around and wonder who it is. Say, God, make it me. Make it me. Because we're training champions. That's a part of the vision. Write the vision, make it plain. We're training champions to change the world.
2: words spoken by dr jerry falwell cast a vision that brought us to this mountain those who were around during the early years remember attending convocation in a 3000 seat tent because no building on campus could hold all the students then there was the winter of 1977 when the building they'd been using for classes was scheduled for demolition their response was to stand in the snow for two hours praying welcome to liberty where we train, Champions for Christ. Welcome to a world of audacious dreams. A world where strong character is built with grit and grace. A world where men and women go out bravely to fix what's broken. What one man dreamed, his son built. 10 years ago, President Falwell picked up the mantle his father laid down, and the university has been flourishing in ways thousands of faithful dreamers had seen only in their prayers. Our tradition of unwavering faith is their legacy, because you are what they prayed for.
0: Graduates, you will face seemingly insurmountable hardships and obstacles often throughout your career. At times, everything will seem hopeless, and every fiber of your being will be screaming for you to quit and give up on your dreams. But persevering in those darkest hours is what separates the winners
2: from the losers. Only if you press on will you achieve greatness. In less than 50 years, 154 students have become 110,000. Missed paydays have become a billion-dollar campus, and what began as a preposterous dream has become the largest Christian university in the world. With elite Carnegie status and FBS football, oh, we're coming, and we're coming to win. But We're not leaving our convictions behind. We still have the privilege, the right, and the responsibility to show the world what Jesus looks like. We still believe that hard work, courage and integrity define our faith as much as compassion and kindness. We are bold, we are innovative, we are faithful and diligent. We celebrate both our diversity and our unity as one family. At Liberty, the privilege to mentor the next generation of Christian leaders is not something we take lightly, because virtues necessary for a praiseworthy life are not built overnight. They require scholars with determination, creativity, and a passion for wisdom. Our faculty have done great things, helped invent hearing devices for the deaf, done groundbreaking research on technology addiction, influenced the way crime labs use DNA analysis, They have written film scores, won Emmys, and made headlines in archaeology, philosophy, and paleontology. But their greatest legacy will be you. We defy the stereotypes that others try to impose on us. Your classmates are directing their own films, interning at NASA, and taking on poverty across the globe. While the world sees champions as only victors, we will reclaim the word and its meaning. We the champions, in order to affirm our tradition of unwavering faith, ignite a passion for wisdom, challenge perspectives, inspire creativity, and pursue knowledge. Do resolve to be the voice for the voiceless, bring healing to the hurting, fight for the oppressed, defend freedom, defy stereotypes, and follow God's calling wherever it may lead. It is who we are. It's what we stand for always has been and always will be
1: to learn more about liberty university go to liberty.edu